I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. We've got a really special guest today. It's Brandon Harrington from the Surviving the Music Industry podcast, also a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, Um, and it's a great podcast. He does a lot of great interviews, and he's a very funny, funny man. I think you'll enjoy hearing from him. Uh, So we're going to dive right into the interview, and then we'll be back. All right, everybody. We got a very special guest today. We got Brandon Harrington for the Surviving the Music Industry podcast. Uh, Brandon uh, does a fabulous podcast. We're both on the American Songwriter Podcast Network, so we're kind of like podcast brothers, I guess. I suppose we're all in the family. We're going to keep it there, Marty. That's, that's right. So, Brandon, tell us a little bit about your story. Mm, where to begin? Um, that's such a, that's such a hard thing because it's so broad. You know what I mean? It's it's, everybody's story is so huge and magnificent and this Hobbit telling trilogy. That's true. Tell us your, your musical story. Yeah. I discovered music as a way of getting out escapism in some form or fashion, because I come from a land that there's more cows than people. There's not much happening. There's not a lot. Of things to do so music was a great escape and then i started touring when i was 16 high school and just kind of kept going from there and then eventually about the same time i met the whole evanescence crew from central arkansas and plus going to school and so balancing that and then i got to play with frank sinatra jr because of college i got a full ride for college for classical guitar um and then met all the American Idol people. Some people might remember Chris Allen winning American Idol. And so that was a jumpstart thing too. I was on a reality show. And so the short skinny is that music has always been part of my life. I've toured for like 20 years and I'm over it. <laughs> Tired of the road, huh? Oh man. I mean, that was it. I would have to say it's a, it, I mean, everybody that starts off in touring just thinks, is, is this ever going to end? This is a magical place in time. But then when you get older and get a little bit more fuzz and gray, like in on your face, it's kind of like, when is this over? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I've only done like four or five weekend bus trips and that's plenty. I, I enjoy it, but that's, that's enough just to do that many, you know? Yeah. And that's cushy too. I mean, yeah. you're, on a, you're on a bus with Chesney or something, you know, it's kind of like, you haven't lived the touring life, Marty. Come out with me sometime. Let's do it together. <laughs> no, thank you. What reality show were you on? It was uh, America. I always mess up the title. I always have to think about it. America's Next Greatest Band. Oh, and cool. So it was. It, I think it only lasted one season. That's how bad it was. But it was the same producers, Simon Fuller, Simon Cowell. It was American Idol, but for bands. So it was America's Best Cover Band. Everybody hated doing it. But some success stories like came out of it, like Denver and the Mile High Orchestra was a thing and they did a thing. And the three brothers that won, um, one of them now plays for like Carrie Underwood, I think is like a mainstay in her band. I think he plays fiddle. Yeah. So some guys are still like doing the thing out of it. That's awesome. I thought you were going to say American Gladiator. Oh, that would have been a dream, Marty. See, I would go back and find that episode if you had been on American Gladiator. Yeah, what would my gladiator name be? <laughs> Thor. <laughs> Thor, the guitar slinger. Uh, yeah, Maybe? No, I, I, I don't know. I would say um, Flailer. 
Because I feel like I have to be like blazer, laser. And I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself out there. So I just flail. Flail. That's great. Yeah. Well, tell me about the podcast. What was the origin of that? And like, why did you start that podcast? And how long has it been going on? And anything you want to tell us? Yeah, there's there's a long story and then there's the short one, but I think we'll probably stick to the tall, skinny version. Like, um, it really came out of a place of, I remember wanting to know like somebody's stories, like especially like in Nashville or just musicians or whatever. And especially at the time, this was probably around 2014, 2015, I remember watching a video of Brent Mason, a legendary guitar player, most recorded guitar player of the 90s, and it was such a disservice, like watching this video, whoever edited it or what the content was. But it was like I stepped off the bus. I met Alan Jackson, did Chattahoochee, millionaire, done, toast. And it was like, what? There's got to be way more to that story because I'm such a huge fan of people. That's what gravitates me toward any kind of fandom. Like I just I like to know the person who that is. And so like behind the music, VH1 is a thing in my memory and. And like all these like legendary things that used to exist. And especially in the podcast space, that was lacking. And it's funny to say that because 2014, 2015, nothing was happening like in Nashville, uh, especially like around that time or that kind of content. You could argue Music Row Magazine had a thing, but it wasn't entertaining. It was very, very journalistic. And, and about 2016 is when we launched. There were uh, Susan Ruth. A human. She did a thing. She launched like in July. That's a really good success story. We launched in February and like two other guys based out of Nashville was starting to do podcasting. And it was, and that's the kind of the funny or the irony of it. Like these, these ideas of communicating, bring out stories, conversations. It's not, it's not a new thing. It's just that nobody was doing it, especially like in Nashville. And that's really kind of where it came from because I always have this thing in the back of my head of, and it's probably a little cliche, like what's different? What can I bring to the table, to the public, to entertainment? That's a little bit different. I took a microscope, Nashville was lacking this and I jumped on it. And so we've been going since 2016, something wow. like that. Yeah. That's awesome. What are the, you know, you, you were telling me earlier that the, the intention of the podcast is not necessarily to get tips from people on surviving the music industry, but that you had learned some things along the way that you thought were important. Can you share some of those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to always do this because I feel like you get it because you've done the thing. There's jokes flying. You never know what's going to happen. SMI is satirical, like it's and very narcissistic. It's about me, right? So <laughs> it's it's the thing of I'm surviving, and you get to look at my little diary. Why is this guy talking way too much? And so stick around. You might get something or feel something. We might feel related, and then I get to have pretty rad conversations. But yeah, it is interesting how people latch onto that title and they start pulling that, especially guests or publicists or whatever. However, they're booking. And then at, at the course of the conversation, especially how fans have gravitated, they have like picked up certain things. But for me, what I've learned, and especially for your community, like to, to pull from, I would say there's probably like three things and you can surmise it in one thing, like intent. Because what I've found, people, I think the general public lack intent. But the people I've talked to, they've realized their intent. 
And it's not just, you know, if we're talking to a songwriter, like I, I just want to write songs. Like the people I've talked to, they found their intent and knew that they want to write songs to make somebody feel the way that they do, just for example. Like they really honed that intention in. Another thing was um, proximity. I really feel like something that it's made, it could be overlooked a little bit, but people in proximity of other great people and inherently become great themselves. So it's amazing to watch other people that feel so mediocre. And then when they're surrounded by, I don't know, let's just say um, Shane McAnally, Smack Songs or something, you know, um, they walk in that building and now they're associated with that name and that brand. And they're also learning things from Ashley Gorley. That's also in the same building as well. That automatically elevates them by association, but hopefully through an osmosis, they become better as well. I think, I don't know if I've developed it, but I hope I did, but I just have this proximity theory that if you are just a mediocre guitar player or songwriter, if you're just in proximity of somebody great, you will become great. But that also, I think that depends on your intention as well. And so okay. I think all these are linked. But then patience. Like I think everybody I've ever talked to had crazy patience. And it could be the obvious, like they were just biding their time. They're all working hard. Because I think about like Travis Meadows. Like he did not get his publishing deal until like he was well in his 50s. You know, like right. he was just doing the thing. He's going through sobriety, living life, whatever. But he was still doing it. He had tremendous patience. But I think the other part of patience a lot of people look over is how do they meet adversity? And so through this adversity, whatever their life may be, I think for the most part, the winners, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of this hustle, hustle culture, but the winners, at least in our mind, doing the thing, they had so much patience just to bide their time and wait out the storm for a plague, for example, you know? And so they're still in town. They're writing songs. They're doing the thing. They didn't give up. They're still in proximity. They still have their intent. But I think all those things can be really surmised by, like, they all took a risk. I think you could really surmise all these things and group it in one little package and say they were willing to take a risk. And it was not an easy risk. You could have insurance. You could have a dental plan. You could have your teeth whitened. You know, you could have all these things. You could have retirement. Like, what is that? Right. <laughs> so I think all these people, what they have in common is that maybe not knowing the full risk, but they knew it was willing. They were willing to risk it. Man, that's all brilliant stuff. I mean, I, I think I think you're so right with that, you know, that that being around successful people helps you just learn how to be successful. Um, and, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. Yeah, that's um, why we're hanging out, Marty. This is this, I hope this <laughs> does something. I'm trying to mooch off you. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, but yeah, and I think that intent is that there's a there's a focus of um what what you're here to do and why, you know, and that that yeah. you will not be deterred from that. And that and that patience piece I think is huge. I, I have people all the time go, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna move to Nashville, I'm gonna give it two years. And I'm like, you can't you can't put a time limit on it and you can't uh, especially that small a time limit, you know, it right. it, it takes longer than that for almost, right. for almost everyone, you know, and you're right. You know, some of these people I've seen, you know, they were doing my demos for 
10 years and then they got started doing masters, you know, and, and they just kept grinding and, and, right. and doing it, you know, so that's, that's all great stuff. But I really think you know, there's anomalies too within that, right? Because I, I feel like you can take those breakdowns and say, you know, two, if I have two out of three out of those things, you know, intent, proximity, and patience, like you're doing pretty good. Cause you could think about Walker Hayes when he first moved to town, his first publisher deal took him six months. That doesn't happen all the Drew Green was kind of the same story too. Like that does not happen, but he already, he had intent. He knew what he was going to do in proximity from mm -hmm. the get-go, both of them. They were around the right people, the right time, and they had the talent and they had something to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah one time, uh, I went back in my former life, a guy came to me and said, Hey, you've written a book. I, I, he said, I want to write a book. And I said, what do you want to write a book about? And he said, I don't know. I just want a boat. And I was like, how, how are the book and the boat connected? And he goes, well, I figure I'll, I'll write a best-selling book and then I'll have enough money to buy a boat. And I'm like, well, I think you have to start with having something to say first, you yeah, know? Right. And I think that's true in the music business too. It's not, you know, I've seen people show up and just go, I just, I want to be a star or, you know, I want to be a hit songwriter, you know, just tell me how to do it. I'm like, man, right. if I, if I, if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't have spent this many years trying to get there myself, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't be sitting at home avoiding touring. I would already become the celebrity. I'd be Marty, Marty Dotson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, talk to us about your survival. How are yeah. you surviving the music industry currently? Man, that's a tough one for me. Um, because it's still something I, I wrestle with, to be honest with you. Um, because we were talking before, I mean, I've toured for 20 years and when I decided to come off the road, there were a lot of factors attached to that, but the biggest thing out of it was an identity crisis. And it was just kind of like, well, who am I? What do I do? I still love entertainment. Um, like what's the thing, like, what is the thing for me now? And so, I mean, I, I focused on, um, sessions, hung around like all the right people, Ilya Tashinsky. And then that made the thing like made me realize, man, only five people like per instrument are like doing the thing. I don't know if I have that street cred or that patience to even do that. So my intent, I think was not there for, for even session playing, but songwriting, songwriting has always interested me and always been a part of me. And I've spent the last couple of years just finding out who I am as a songwriter, like, what do I even bring to the table? And so for me, I'm learning intent and patience right now. And so I may not be in proximity because, you know, the, the, the old virus is still floating around. And so that I, because, and it's not like a real thing. It's not like I can, we can hang out together, you know, like whatever right. that may be in a different building. I think it's opening up a lot more, but in the past year or two, I've really focused on intent and patience and songwriting. But then also people seem to like this guy, you know, <laughs> like people seem to like this personality. And that's always been a thing of in my whole life. I've never listened to, I've seemed to ignore it or not hear it or listen to it. But I remember, you know, going on radio tours as a player and like the people telling me, Brandon, you can't be yourself. Like, don't be funny. Don't be entertaining. The artist has to be more entertaining. Well, they're right. not entertaining. Like, what are they? <laughs> yeah. They're like, trying we to, know. <laughs> trying to fill in the gaps here. Yeah, yeah. So, but just just let them. Okay, okay. And so 
so I'm discovering what this is personality wise. And so trying to figure out uh, an Apple radio show, if that's really becoming fruition um, and then a bunch of other things in the works. I'm flirting with managers right now, trying to figure out like what this is, what I can bring to the public. So um, yeah. I, and I think surviving the music industry, if you know, if you had to, that again, that's the core of the question. How am I surviving? It's being malleable. It's being able to jump and just do different things and take that risk. And so that's how I'm surviving. It's really yeah. being not really being so stringent or so um there's probably a better word for it, but just hyper focused on one thing because we live in an environment where you really have to be able to do it all. When I first started, you could tour. I mean, you can make 40 grand a year and do the thing, but not anymore. Like that does not exist. And so, um, and especially in the year that we just had during the pandemic, I mean, you have to be malleable and be willing to say, well, I'm going to go do this, something I never done, do this. Where's the thing where I could, you know, put this equity now into. And so that's how I'm surviving. No, that's great. I th you know, I think for everybody that survives the music business, you have to be malleable. And and I think a lot of people, I think, interpret that to mean you have to change who you are to fit the scenario. And I don't think that's it at all. I think you have to, what takes most of us so long is finding out who we are. And, oh, yeah. and then we're trying to find out how that intersects with the commercial side of the music business. And, and those things both take a while and they take being, um, you know, so I'm continually having to think about, you know, what do I do? What feeds my soul about this? And what are all the different ways I can do that, you know, and right. in, in ways that might help me, you know, keep making a living at this. And, and so just not changing who I am, but just continually looking at uh, who I am, what I'm, you know, what I set out to do when I started writing songs and how that can intersect with the, the market is a yeah. continually changing beast, you know? Right, right, yeah. And and you never know when that, like, the the options or the the things where you can be malleable, like, really happen. Like, even here recently, that, um, I don't know if you get this all the time, but I've been starting to get, like, birthday song scams. Have you seen this, like, on social media no. or anything? I love it so much, Marty. Get ready. <laughs> Buckle up. Okay. Because people will scam creatives musicians artists to write a birthday song for their kid that's make-believe and after you do the thing you send them a demo they basically end up with their credit card account and they're pulling money blah 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 and i've found that i really love scamming those scammers and so a way for <laughs> me that i can practice my songwriting is i can send them like my songwriting malleableness exercise to write a song on the spot for them to basically point them out and become a thing on social media. So I found myself becoming this trend of scamming the scammers, but through song and Ooh, it's, like it's it. been awesome. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I just hope I get more because I need more <laughs> of that content. <laughs> Where can we check out that? Yeah, uh, I think most of those you could probably definitely see on TikTok, unofficial Brandon and Instagram, and then Facebook's at SMI Podcast, and then who uses Twitter? But I have a Twitter at angry SMI people. Podcast. Uh, I mean, everybody is so angry on Twitter. I agree. Angry people use Twitter. Yeah, 
and people upset about Dogecoin, which I understand that. So exactly. <laughs> well, what kind of music feeds your soul the most? That's a great question because the general answer anybody would say is like, oh, I love it all. But I think the most important thing is that I mean, you got to feel something. And that that may be too general, but I'm impressed with any song that can capture a single emotion and pull that out of you like a Pixar movie, because I cry at Pixar movies. And so if a song can actually like do that, you know, even if it's a Chris Cornell, like rock thing, all the way up to Lori McKenna, that can say like pull on your heartstrings. Uh, I think we're starting to see a lot of that in songwriting now, which I'm really enjoying. That's what I gravitate toward that you have to be able to make somebody feel something. And if you don't, if you don't supply that to the people, you don't give the people what they want. You're, you're, you're not going to be used. And especially on my platform, like it, you got to have something that, that people want and it's usually making them feel something. And I feel the same way. Absolutely. I, I teach a six week class on that every year, you know, just working on helping people learn what, you know, how do you make people happy in a song? How do you make people cry? How do you make people raise their lighter in the air? You know, what, Ooh, that's what, fascinating. Do you, what do you do to make people uh, do those things? So we study songs that do that. And, but right. I, is I, it I totally outside agree. of, is it outside of like, um, just major keys or minor keys, which I'm sure is just part of it, but actually the psychology of it, especially with your mm -hmm. background, you do that a lot. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of break down psychologically what happens when um, somebody, you know, Jake Owen plays barefoot blue jean night. Why do, why do people raise their lighters up? You know, we break down right. all the, all the different reasons about that, that make people want to do that. And so it's a fun class. What a mad scientist you are. Look at that. That's amazing. <laughs> Building like, little songwriter Frankensteins out there. That's right. Psychology into it. I love it. That's beautiful. I kind of do the same thing like for SMI. That's funny that I have, and it's a little bit different, I guess. Like you have the science edge and mine. I usually blow people's mind with this, but I have B plus security training and hostage and terrorist negotiation survival tactics. And so, oh, wow. yeah, it's pretty high up there, right? And, and you're, you're a former man of the cloth. I can say this, that <laughs> I was, a, I was a missionary. And so we had to get all this training, how to survive these crazy situations. And I use those same tactics, like a lot, like in conversation and even in songwriting, I use it too. And it's really, and the core of it is really humanizing. Yeah. And, and I think that's what, you know, we look for in songs are the feels and you can really even surmise that even more is like what makes the song such a human quality that makes me want to attach myself to it because we're all looking for attachment. We're all looking for something to associate ourselves with. But even in conversation, even when people think it's like, well, I'm going to tell you how I survived the music industry, which that's not the thing. How can I humanize that? How can I bring you into the fold? And because we're talking to these people like for an hour, they're eventually going to be human and we're going to cut away these radio cookie cutter answers. But it's fascinating um, using the skill sets that we have in our past and bringing that to the fold. And we had no idea what we were doing then. You know, it's crazy yeah. our past and our journey. It's the same with a human's journey and how people gravitate toward that. Yeah. I, I wrote a blog one time about all the little steps in my life that culminated in an event in New York with, 
where I was the only person who could read Nashville music charts and read music. Yeah. I was having to translate between people that could only do one or the other. And it's just fascinating to look back at all the little bitty steps on your hostage training thing of, of, I know a friend of mine's daughter was kidnapped in Guatemala and Mm -hmm. she got out because she started asking the, she was asking their kidnappers, like, do you have kids? Well, tell me about Mm -hmm. your daughter. And, you know, and they start crying. They're like, get this kid out of here. They're making us cry. That's the, we probably did the same exact thing, but that was a lot, a lot of part of it because, you know, and you probably get this too, talking to creatives. It's almost as if like, they don't know how to do this, like conversation, you know, and like to tell their full story because most of the time they're putting their full story within song. But along the way, I think because of how we market music and we and we brand that, like I feel like probably eight years ago, music was a package deal that had to be associated with a brand or a product like Tide Pods or something like there's no way this song was going to be a hit unless it's attached to Tide Pods. And everybody started drinking Tide Pods and it became a bad thing. But anyway, that they started seeing this. But then what happened to the human behind that? What happened? But that person behind the creative field that did that did the thing like what's their story and so me saying like i'm having trouble with my kid he's dealing with a bully right now and maybe they do have kids like uh it's the funny thing i just had my, matt carney on and the thing that broke for him was talking about dad stuff and the dad thing that we landed on was talking about bamboo he had a fascinating rad time just talking about bamboo and we got the crack jokes about it. But if you can find that human element, like in conversation that breaks all the barriers down, you get to finally meet who this really person, who this real person is. And so, yeah, those are the same tactics that I even do as well. Yeah. And I think that's a huge um, thing with people trying to back to your point about proximity. Like when, Mm -hmm. When people meet me out somewhere, and I'm sure it's the same with you, if if their introduction, if their introductory line is like, hey, I love your music, we should write sometime. I go, that turns me off. But if they oh, go, yeah. hey, let me buy you a drink and I just love to hear your story. Then right. I go, oh, well, they care. You know, I mean, they, they want to get to know me, you know, right kind of thing. And it, so I think that's a huge um pointer for people of make, oh, man. Make, make sure that you're connecting on a human level before you try to connect on a business level or a music level a hundred percent yeah it, and the the thing people come to me for it's not about my music because everybody's kind of forgotten that now they're hearing or seeing this mold of a human being and figuring out what this thing is but yeah people slide into the dms like hey can i be on your show Marty, just right out of the gate. It's kind of, well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know who you are. Like, what is the situation? What's your story? What are you going to say? Are you a fascist? I'm not going to have that. Like, that's <laughs> insane to me. Right. So, but there are some people that are literal. like, point in case, this band I just discovered, Volk, V-O-L-K. They're basically Rage Against the Machine meets the White Stripes, but country music. Like, they're in this country, alt-country vein. Wow. Blew my mind. I loved it. Didn't know who they were. And I would have ignored them in my DMs if the main guy approached it insanely different. He came with me at, I love your conversations. And like, I, and you know, when people listen to your stuff, you want them to get certain things out of it. And he nailed them, you know, like 
oh, it's about humanity. It's about identity. It's figuring out who they are. It's a person's journey. It's not STMI. I hate when people call it STMI because it sounds like a venereal disease. But then, but he called it SMI. Okay, so he listens to the show and he does all these different things. He did it right. So every once in a while, I do have the the quote unquote no names or people that are just starting out because they did it right from the beginning. They understood there's another human being on the other side. But then also they had something to say, like they were uniquely different. There was something so far to the left or to the right, above or below, that was beyond anything else that's ever like crossed my desk. And it's like, why isn't this a thing? And I'm going to do what I can to make this a thing. They did it right. Some people do it right. But like you mentioned, people just some people just do it completely wrong. Exactly. Yes, this is very true. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for all your great stuff. Thanks for what you do on the podcast. I encourage everybody to check out the podcast, SMI podcast. You nailed it. Look yes. at you. You listen. Um, we're, and we'll put in the um, show notes any links you have to any of your stuff. So you can email me that. But thank you for being with us. Yeah. It was marginally great. Marginally <laughs> great. It was. Maybe even good. Yeah. Uh, we'll call it good for now. Okay. It's good. There it's great. Go. It's good. Take, take care, Brandon. All right, see you, Marty. Hope you enjoy that. We've got a song for you from some Songtown members. Uh, this is performed by J.C. Anderson, written by Marika Hallandy Mallon, Bobby Evans, Tom Pino, and Steve Smintek, all Songtown members, and it's called See You Summer. And it's coming out May 17th, which probably will be right or soon before this podcast come out. So it should be out on streaming platforms by the time you hear this podcast. So here's See You Summer. She's boats on water. She's sun sitting on her. She's bonfires and late nights and making love in the moonlight. She's toes in the sand. She's docks I tan. I can't wait to see a summer Taste that sunburn Chase her while turns on Friday night She's like sun-kissed with a lime twist, yeah She feels like freedom Laid back with a six-pack Let me tell you, there ain't nothing sweeter I can't wait to see a summer I can't wait to see a summer See a summer I can't wait to see a summer Taste that sunburn Chase her while turns on Friday night She's like sun-kissed with a lime twist, yeah She feels like freedom Laid back with a six-pack Let me tell you, there ain't nothing sweeter I can't wait to see a summer I can't wait to see a summer See a summer Summer
I can't wait to see a summer Taste that sunburn Chase her while turns on Friday night She's like sun-kissed with a lime twist, yeah She feels like freedom Laid back with a six-pack Let me tell you, there ain't nothing sweeter I can't wait to see a summer I can't wait to see a summer See a summer Very cool song as we enter summertime. Um, so I want to talk real quickly about a question we get a lot in our song town. Ask Marty and Clay for them. And that is, how should I decide what the splits are on my song? Clay and I are huge, huge advocates of making every song equal. In fact, in most of the songs I write, if we do a demo... Or a track, like if, if I'm writing with a track guy and a singer, we split the master equally and we split the song equally. And I think that's a recipe for keeping everybody feeling good about the collaboration and um, very engaged and motivated to keep working with that team. Because I've been in situations where people were like, well, you know, you did this many lines, I did this many lines, so... Maybe I should get, you know, 57% and you should get 43%. And all that does is tick people off because, you know, it's it's kind of, if let's say I came in with the idea and I didn't contribute much more after that, that idea is still worth a lot, you know. And it, there's no real way to start dividing out how much everyone contributed and what that contribution was worth. So we always encourage people just to, in every case, just do equal splits. And if you run into a situation where someone's not contributing, you know, like I've had co-writes where um, someone is like playing video games the whole co-write. I just don't write with them again. But I don't, in that co-write, try to go, well, you know, you weren't really engaged. So I'm going to, you know, we're going to give you 25% and I'm going to get 75%. Because I think that just creates bad feelings. And I know some places in the world, you know, some pop scenarios, they, they're big into that and trying to figure that out. But if you want to keep people really motivated and exciting about excited about working with you, then I would encourage you to do equal splits and just consider that everything everyone contributed to that song was important and valuable. And there's no way to decide what was most valuable, or to put a number on it. So I hope that's helpful. We will see you next time. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, In the show notes, we're going to have information about Brandon and his podcast. Um, We're going to have information about Songtown and some books Clay and I have written um, called Song Building about mastering lyric writing and the Songwriter's Guide to Co-Writing. And uh, very, very soon we got a new book coming out we're excited about on mastering melody writing. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd rate us, follow us, subscribe, all that stuff, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining Songtown on Songwriting this week.